Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. I'm so glad you've chosen today to tune in to hear what God is speaking to us in the northeastern part of Oklahoma, and I hope it speaks to you as well. Enjoy. As I was praying about today and seeking God, I felt like this phrase, free or free, with a question mark kept coming up. Because there's some things that we, me, deal with, and you all know when I say we, I mean me, right? You've discovered that, right? There's some things that we deal with that think that we're trying to be free, but we're only making things more complicated for our lives. So, what do I mean by that? Well, how many of you would say, come on, let's be honest, I'm super independent. Don't tell me how to do things. Don't tell me what to do. Let me do it on my own. <laughs> Don't, for, for, yeah, forcing hands up. No, force your own hand up. But there's this place, we, we sang it today in a, in, in a roundabout sort of way. There's this place that true freedom comes in surrendering to God in every aspect of our lives. And that means saying yes to him even when it seems uncomfortable or doesn't seem right or doesn't make sense. This thing that we do with Jesus does not make sense. It doesn't. Believe in a guy that walked on this earth for 33 years and he died on a cross so that my sins could be forgiven? Come on. Seems like hogwash. But yet it's the truth. And how do I know that? Well, first off, by faith. And second off, I've encountered him. I have bona fide exchange of encounters with him where I go into places that he meets me and I meet with him and it's real and it's powerful. But we don't get there by saying, God, let me do this my way. We don't get there by saying, I understand that you want me to do that. You want me to go there, but that's not safe or that's not realistic. I get that you want me to do this But don't you understand that if I do this, then these things can no longer happen the way I planned them? And that seems not fair. We also have to put ourselves in a position to realize that he always has our best interests in mind. So how do we find freedom in God? How do we find freedom? Now, my concept of freedom is let me do it my way. Don't don't press me down. Don't hold me down. Don't keep me from. Let me do it. Freedom to me is I can choose what I want, when I want, how I want. Nobody's going to get in my way. He's given us that choice. But maybe by the end of today's discussion, you'll realize that that's not freedom at all. yet he will never intervene with your option to choose his way or your way. We call that free will. It's free will that puts us in a position that we've maybe been harshly abused as teenagers. It's free will that is Put us, put us in positions where somebody else's choices have negatively affected us. 
but it's free will that has put us in this room today to encounter the very presence of God. Where he's saying, why don't you surrender that just a little bit more today than you did yesterday? So that I can do more in you and for you and through you. So I'm going to look at three stories today in the scriptures. First one, we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 8. I've got a lot of typos, by the way, in my slides. I didn't get them fixed, but there's some typos up there, so just have fun with that. Uh, But 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 22, and we're going to look at a story where we've had the rise of the freedom, so to speak, of the Israelites. They've been in captivity in Egypt, right? And then they have gotten, they've been uh, delivered from this captivity and through grumbling and through very things that are so far, we've got coffee spilling right there, coffee spilling right there, through things that are totally their fault, um, they have now wandered in wilderness for 40 plus years. And now they have crossed into their so-called promised land and they have faced battle. Well, they will be facing battle. Well, they, yeah, they have faced battle. They have faced heartache and struggle, but they've seen God deliver and move. But yet, in their desire to do it their own way, we want to be free, they say. The perfect order of God was let me, God, be king, and let me establish some people among you to help settle disputes. They were called judges. Well, the land now has a couple of judges in place that are not exactly righteous, and so they go to the, they call him the seer, the prophet. His name is Samuel, who's getting old, and they say, we want a king. And this is the exchange in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 22. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Elijah, or Abijah, sorry, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. This sounds like a great time to be alive. It sounds kind of like sometimes today. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel in Ramah. He said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. You see, he wasn't upset that they didn't like his sons. He was upset because they didn't like God's order. I want, I want that to be very clear. He was upset because they wanted to go with a worldly order instead of a godly order. But the thing displeased him, and he went to the Lord. And in verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. What an interesting thing. They've rejected me from being king, but go ahead. Give them what they want. Go ahead, give them what they want. And according to all the deeds that they have done from this day, I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods so that they are also doing to you. Now, then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told the words of the Lord 
told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. Verse 13, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers and he will take the best of your fields and the vineyards and the olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men of your donkeys and put them and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen yourself, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. And we also may be like the other nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Isn't it interesting? We've spent so much time over the last months talking about how our king, our God, fights our battles for us. Now, like, we want a worldly system to fight our battles for us. Hmm. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them into the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Sent them away. Go. Go to your place of origin. Go to your city. Get away from me. I don't know exactly how he did that. but So this is what's happened. As a result of Israel, we cry, as a result of Israel, Requiring Israel, requiring, those are two words hard to say together. Requiring a king, a dangerous shift took place. Now, I want us to be very careful when we pray that we pray God's perfect will. Now, how do I know what that is? Well, read his word. His word is very clear what he wants for you. It's very, very clear. If you don't know what to pray, pray his word. Or I often like to say pray in the spirit and then pray in understanding. But in this situation, they began to pray or seek a man for something that was outside of God's will. So be careful in what you pray outside of God's will because we are in jeopardy of a dangerous shift. In this scenario, they went to God and through the man Samuel and said, we want a king. And God said, that is not my will, but go ahead. I will do this thing for you. I know God knew the hearts of these people well enough to know that they were going to have what they were going to have with or without him. This is what happens. This is what happens when we shift out of God's perfect plan. In our free will, by the way, in our own choices, when we shift out of God's perfect plan, when we step out of surrender to him, these kinds of things happen. First and foremost, we reject God. It wasn't a rejection of other human leaders. It was a rejection of God. What ways do we reject God? Other sin outright disobedience to his perfect will. I remember there was a time in my life when I first dated my wife that I said to God, if she's the woman you want me to marry, and I knew she was, I said, I'd just soon not be in your will. She's still with me, thank the Lord. I'll tell you right now, I'd be a mess without Vanessa. Because he knew what he was doing. I surrendered my will to him. Now, it wasn't that big of a surrender. I wasn't getting second-rate woman. 
I got the best of the best of the best that God had for me. I just needed to see it. But when I said that to God, I was sinning. He was saying, fine, have your own way. But I was rejecting God. I wasn't rejecting Vanessa. I was rejecting God. And I'll tell you, to this day, prior to that moment, there were some things that God did in my life with an outward expression of his presence upon my life that I I don't operate in like I did then. Now, I don't think he's withholding things from me. I think I'm still working. And that was 20 years ago almost. I'm still working some things out because of that one moment that I failed. I pray to God I don't have to walk around in wilderness for 40 years to get back there. But I screwed up, and I've repented, and he's good, and he forgives me. But listen, when we want to do things our own way, we're ultimately rejecting God. Another thing that happens is we reject his leadership. It represents a move from God-chosen style of leadership to a man-chosen style of leadership. But through God, he selected Saul. It was not his choice to have a king, but he was still going to have a choice in who would be king. He selected Saul. The third thing, when we do things on our own outside of the will of God and he still operates with us, we reject God's anointing or calling on man. It reflects a move from a regular guy made mighty by God, la, 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 that's most of us in this room, type of leadership to a celebrity hero or a star leadership and a special treatment of the leader that goes with it. We reject God as qualifier of that person. These two kind of go together. It represents represents a move from task-based and gift-oriented leadership to a leadership based on position, royalty, and tenure. The last thing, this is a major typo. We reject God as the one, is what that's supposed to say, we worship. I know, right? Isn't that fantastic? That's what happens when you copy and paste your typos in your notes. It represents a significant introduction of worldliness into our lives. The slippery slope by which idolatry would eventually enter. Wow, aren't you feeling edified and encouraged by coming to church today? I promise it does get better. I promise. But here's the thing. God allowed it. Not only did he allow it, but he made provision for it. He answered their prayer upon their free will to do it their own way. In this scenario, I'm like, God, what were you thinking? Because he could take away our free will. Then we'd be no better than the angels. The Bible says very clearly that we've got a position higher than the angels. I want to fly around and do the angel thing. No, you don't. Because they can either choose to worship him or they can choose to go to hell, and there's no redemption for angels. We have redemption before us. God allowed it. So I want to propose an idea today if I can. What, just think about this. This is the idea. What God allows and his will, they are not synonymous. Think about that. What God allows and his will are not always synonymous. They aren't always the same thing. What God allows, God allowed so-and-so to be raped. Was that his will? I'm talking some hard stuff in the room today. God allowed so-and-so, a two-year-old, to drown in a pool face down. Was that his will 
or is that his allowing? Because there's some free will, there's some choices that we make that ultimately affect everything around us. And there's a mighty pressure, supposedly, that might, you might think I'm placing on your shoulders right now to get it right. Ultimately, the way to get it right is to get into his presence. It goes back to what we talked about initially. I want to look at a scenario together, I've got two of them, where man was given free will and didn't get it right. We can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2. We've got an exchange between God and Adam. And God says very clearly in verse 16, he says, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And then God later discovers that Adam shouldn't be alone, and he puts him in a trance or to sleep, and he takes his rib and forms a woman. And then this woman and he are now in the garden together, and it says the serpent, who is more crafty than any other beast, this is just one chapter over, Genesis chapter 3, any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. There should be a period there. Then she goes on, neither shall you touch it lest you die. By the way, did you hear when I just read in the previous chapter, all God said is you shall not eat it. She took it to the next step. How many times do we add extra bondages on our lives, extra requirements that God never placed upon us? We blame him, and that's why we leave him. How many times do we blame somebody else for our desire to leave the church or to leave a relationship with God when he never intended for their actions to be the negative thing that causes us to fall away? And the way in which we keep from falling away is to have true encounters with the living God and ignore the true negative encounters with a crappy man. Here she is, adding extra restraint. By the way, I'm not going to talk about the law of liberty in this place today, but in surrender, there is a liberty that's greater than freedom that comes to us. Help me remember that. That might be next week. I told Alana just a little while ago, I'm just going to throw in one week of no series. Feel the series burning out of this right here. Anyway, for those of you who don't know, I tend to preach 18 weeks on the same topic, it seems like. But anyway, um, so moving right along, you shall, it says, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. By the way, the serpent loves to misconstrue, or Satan loves to take things totally out of context and jack up truth. Because what he says is, you will not die. And what the truth is, yes, you will. You just won't die upon eating it. What we'll read later in your own uh, time, you'll discover that man will ultimately have to die as a result of this exchange right here. Ultimately, man will have to die. God intended that we would live forever in the garden with him in perfect relationship with him. And God did send Jesus many, many, many years later to restore that fellowship with God in which we can live in a perfect relationship and surrender to him. We're just outside of the garden for right now. But here we are. 
So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they were sewing fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife and themselves hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, but I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree at which I commanded you not to eat? You see, Adam's poor choice, or poor free choice, becomes an opportunity here For us, to have to have a new, free, a new choice. Adam made a poor choice and it screwed it up for mankind. But God had an escape plan or a new plan set in place for in our free will to make a new choice, a great choice, a great free choice, and his name was Jesus Christ. We can read later that because of what Adam and Eve have done, they have been kicked out of the garden. They now have to till the ground. They have to make their own food. They woman has to bear a child. Sorry, that's her fault. You can be mad at her, all you women. Men now have to bear kidney stones. Not the same, whatever, whatever. We're not going to talk about that right now in, in detail. But we're in a situation where we live in a fallen world. But Jesus has come to reunite us, reunite us back to the presence of God. And ultimately, we will not stay on this fallen world. We'll be reestablished back on this world but it will be as the garden was always intended. You see, there was a first Adam, and he failed miserably. There was a second Adam in the name of Jesus Christ that did it right. Such a powerful story. It's not the message today, but it is powerful. Now, what is happening, though? This, this context between Adam, who screwed up, and Jesus, who is ultimately our free choice to choose today. Are you choosing Jesus? The big question is, well, Romans 5, chapter 12, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21 says, Now, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, we just read this, and death through sin, you see, that's what happened. The serpent wasn't completely wrong. He was just messed up in his timeline. And so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam and to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. It was a type of one who was to come, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Think about that. The trespass was a free opportunity, right? Free will. But there's a free gift offered to us, and it's not like that one. How is it? For many have died through that man's trespass, looking at Adam, but many more have come to the grace of God and the free gift by grace that that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And that free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment followed one trespass, brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. You might think we're pretty crazy in this place because we love Jesus and we're outward about it. We sing so much about how much we love him. It's because 
He is so amazing. I am so moved. I'm so impacted and affected by the presence of Jesus, by what He has done in making my life an expression of of contact to the living God. Because He loved me so much that He would die horrific death. Verse 19, 7, 18, okay. Therefore, one, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. There's this direct opposite happening. One effect, one choice, but an effect for us all. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. Now, the law came to increase the trespass. Think about that for just a minute. The rules, the the experience of Eve, the extra burden was brought so that we would increase our level of understanding of how bad we really are. It would bring an increase to the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where there was more sin made aware, there was more need for the grace of God to be present in our lives. Where there was more uh, awareness of how uh, terrible of a person that I might be or how, how terrible or, or, or uh, degenerate humankind might be, the grace of God became even greater and more known so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we've got this guy by the name of Joshua. Joshua is such a neat guy because he has been there. and He's one of the few that actually has seen the move of God to the point that they get to enter into the promised land. And in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 28, he's talking to the Israelites and he's saying, make a choice. And I'm looking at you in the room today. Make a choice. Make a choice to either go all in for the things of God or go all in for the things of yourself, but make a choice. You cannot be in the middle. You cannot be lukewarm. We read about that in the book of Revelation, that God will spew you out of your mouth. So it's like I say to my kids, make a decision. Just do something. So here we've got Joshua, and he's telling the Israelites, make a decision. Listen to this. He says, now therefore... Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your forefathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the rain, a region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He had made a resolution. He had made a decision that day. Well, actually, he made it long before, but he verbalized it in this moment. We are going to serve the Lord. To serve the Lord is a surrendered place of action. It means, God, whatever you say, I am there and I will do it. To say, I will serve you, Lord, says, whatever you, it's before he asks, you will say yes. Before he demands, you've made the decision to say yes. Before you wake up on Sunday morning, you made the decision to come to church. Before you wake up Monday morning, you knew you would brush your teeth that next morning. Many of us, before we got out of bed, we knew we were going to go to the bathroom. There are things that are in our lives 
that we have got to pre-decide that we're going to do. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will leave a life of comfort and come to Miami, Oklahoma, and we will deal with addiction, and we will deal with sorrow, and we will deal with pain. But ultimately, we know there is a hope that is set before us for you to walk into the calling of God for your life. But that was a decision we made before he asked us to make it. We will serve the Lord. And in verse 16 it says, Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, all the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. <laughs> what are you doing to me? You are not able to choose to stay here. You're going to serve. Okay, we'll serve him. No, you can't. Is it? The scripture fun. He says the same thing to you. He says the same thing to you. No, you can't. Without connection. He says you can't serve him. For he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. I'm so thankful we'll live on a completely different side of the Bible. There is not a contradiction here to the fact that he forgives every one of our sins. This is before Jesus made everything right. But if you forsake the Lord and you serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. So you can't serve him. But if you try, great. But if you choose not to, he's going to wipe you out. The people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are, we're witnesses. And he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you. They're saying, we're going to serve you, but yet we're holding on to all this garbage. We're holding on to our will. We're holding on to our purposes. We're holding on to what we want to do. We're holding on to these other things, what is comfortable. And Joshua says, Put them away, the foreign gods that are among you, and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth. That was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with our God. Don't lie. Go all in, or don't go in at all. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. So I want to look in closing today at four. Here's another typo. And four observations from four, verse 14 about our free choice in choosing God. That red line, just, you can kind of piece it together. Four observations from verse 14 and 15 about our free choice in choosing God. Observation number one, in choosing Christ, we must fear him. We've got to. But I, I, it's not this, I'm afraid of you, but it's in awe of you. See, let, in Psalm 33, verse 8, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. 
Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. We're standing in his presence. You see, in proper fear, if Adam and Eve, Eve, did I just say that? If Adam and Eve, I did it again. If Adam and Eve had a proper fear of God, they would not have touched the fruit. They would not have gone near the fruit. They wouldn't have even entertained a moment or a conversation with the serpent. But after eating it, they had a fear of God, but they went and they hid from him. But you see, in proper fear of God, we find ourselves in a position that I am not guilty, therefore I can openly and clearly and confidently run to Him, run to His presence, engage the presence of God, and be at His feet, not in fear of what He's going to do to me. Because I'm not guilty. And in Jesus, none of us has to be guilty. Every one of us, the Bible says, falls short of the glory of God. But Jesus is the one that takes away our guilt. You've heard me say it. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. In proper fear, Adam and Eve wouldn't have touched the fruit. And in our proper fear, we can come to him, run to him without guilt. In choosing Christ, we must serve him. Colossians 2, verses 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You see, upon the exchange between the Israelites and Joshua, Joshua sent them away to their inheritance, and our inheritance comes from serving the Lord. Number three, we must have a sincerity and a truth. When we come to him, it's it. It's it. We can't go back and forth, wishy-washy, in and out. Now, we're humans. We have our moments and we have our struggles. But ultimately, our purpose, our goal needs to be complete devotion to him in everything. And when I come to him and I say, God, I give you me, I give you everything. And I'm sincere and there's some truth about it. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I ask you today in this place, as He is in this room, has He found true worshipers? True worshipers are just those willing to be surrendered to Him. And then my last point is ultimately how this all comes together. We must repent. The Bible says, again, all have fallen short of the glory of God. But it also says very clearly in 1 John 1.19 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all, say all, all unrighteousness. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, I love this. This is the culmination of it all. This is how we can do it. This is how it's possible. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. No longer a sinner. No longer an idolater. I no longer have to be that person of lust. I'm no longer whatever you dealt with. I'm a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, serving God is freedom. Saying yes to God is where we find freedom and peace and joy and security. So my question to you today is this. 
choose, actually it's more of a statement, choose whom you will serve. It's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Where are you in that? Are you in a place of choosing to serve him? (laughs) Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, Should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, WLMiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.